0: This is Anthony Manfredi.
1: Hi, this is Opal Alipot. And this is the Performance Management TechCast podcast.
0: Welcome to the Performance Management TechCast. We're recording this in November, 2020. And this is our fourth episode. Today we have with us, Jake Torrell with Torrell Consulting and Peter Nitschke from Pivot2 Solutions. And we are here to talk planning. Specifically, Oracle Hyperion planning. They are two of the best in their field, and we are excited to get
2: started.
1: Welcome, Jake and Peter. First, why don't you both introduce yourselves?
2: My name is Jake Turrell, and I'm an EPM solution architect, and I'm an independent consultant with Turrell Consulting. My
3: name is Peninichki, founding director of Pivot2 Solutions, so doing EPM system
2: implementations in Australia.
1: And talk to us about your technical journeys.
2: My technical journey actually started at the University of Texas when I was uh, basically going there to get my degree in management information systems. And I got an opportunity through the career services department there to take an internship at Dell Computer. And so they brought me in as an intern to basically be their IMRS microcontrol administrator And for those of you who don't know, microcontrol is a product that later became Hyperion Enterprise. And they basically just figured out it was cheaper to hire interns than it was to build a batch system. And so I would dump data out of the system at night, load it into Hyperion, run all the calculations, do the tie-out reports, and then go home at midnight. And so after that, I went to work for EMY for a few years after I graduated which was a great experience. And then I decided I kind of wanted to come back and focus on the EPM space again. So I came back to Dallas, joined a boutique firm that specialized in S space and worked in that that firm for about five years. And it was a small firm called Navigator Systems was really a great firm. And then I got the chance to go independent. And that was about 17, almost 18 years ago wow Over the past 17 or 18 years i've been doing nothing but space and planning implementations now mostly you know of course on the cloud and then along the way um, i started doing presentations at user groups and solutions and then uh, later at, at k scope and then i started volunteering uh, with oditug the organization that you know runs k scope later got elected to the board of directors where I am now the treasurer. Jake, Microcontrol.
0: I, I started with Hi- Enterprise, so uh, you've been in the space a little bit longer than me. So that's good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a nice way of saying, man, you're old. <laughs> yeah. <No>. yeah. <laughs>
1: I wasn't about to go into that, but... That was a
0: similar start. Like they, that was an intern pretty much. They just said, uh, can you help us tie out the numbers for enterprise? And that's kind of how I got started too.
3: I, I suppose in a similar vein, I think a lot of us started you know, in, in industry and, and moved across. So I actually originally started in mining. I was doing summer work on mine sites, which was just a good way of pay for university. And um, I ended up doing Excel jockey work for the mine planning. Uh, area which was basically for the geology and, and mining, underground mining plans then uh, the company that I was working with at the time started a Hyperion planning implementation this was originally on version 7 and then moved into version 9 and dragged me from from Western Australia where I used to live uh, on, on mine sites in Central Australia to Melbourne uh, where I had to wear a suit and uh, go in and, and help them do kind of all the business analytics so doing that and particularly working with a number of incredible developers at the time. I kind of got really quite interested in, in how all that worked and how Airspace worked and how planning worked and how many block creation issues you could actually come across in, in a week of working. And then effectively transitioned into more of the development side, then became a consultant. So I worked for a boutique for about 10 years and then recently branched out on, on my own and with a couple of incredible other friends of mine who kind of cover a lot of the skills that I don't have organization being one of them, to effectively implement planning or, or EPM really for, for companies. So it's been kind of a long journey, similar vein to Jake, I think. I suppose as a company, we are doing a bit more work in, in BI, which has always been something that I'm, I've been interested in, but I find it difficult to kind of pivot our experience into. But uh, yeah, that's really kind of where I ended up where I am.
1: I know you both primarily use Oracle EPM. Why is that?
2: I've been using S-Space for so long. You know, I've certainly looked at some of the other competing products out there, and there's some interesting products out there, but I keep coming back to two things. One, you know, I still really enjoy implementing planning in S-Space. And two, at this point, I have so much experience built up in those products that it's it's almost like I'm pot committed, and making a change at this point almost wouldn't make sense. So it's, it's both a combination of my you know, love of the products as well as, you know, sort of my investment. I've done a lot of
3: investigation in other products out there. So kind of the OneStream and Anaplan and and we've done bits and pieces of work uh, with them. But yeah, it's really, you feel so invested in it because you've spent so long doing it that it's, it's difficult to kind of move into anything else.
1: If you could develop a better mousetrap in the planning space, what would that vision look like? And where do you think planning technologies are falling short today?
2: I would kind of divide this question up kind of into two pieces. I kind of have this pie-in-the-sky dream of where I would like the database engine to go, and that's part of it. So I'll talk about that. But there's also kind of where the products are now and some of the shortcomings that I see there. If we go to my pie in the sky dream, you know, we've seen how this database engine has evolved over time, right? We started with BSO, and then we realized we'd really like some of these calculations to work more on the fly in these aggregations. And so we went to ASO, and then we realized, man, there are parts of ASO and BSO that we'd like to work together, and we got hybrid. There's this one final frontier that we really haven't seen tackled, and that is the issue of adding metadata on the fly. And so sometimes you'll hear this referred to as like a restructureless database. That is, I think, the next big frontier for Space, to be able to really change metadata on the fly without having to disrupt your users. So that's that's kind of my pie in the sky vision of where I'd like to see the product go. And and I've done some crazy things at clients to sort of get around that fact that you've got to restructure the databases. I mean, I've had Thirty different divisions, each with their own S-base apps, partitioning up to other apps, so that each division could, you know, do their own restructures whenever they wanted. So when they when they solve that, man, that's going to be that's going to be really huge. If we look back though to where the products are now, and kind of where I see some of sort of the shortcomings, I keep coming back to the frameworks. And so, for those of you that don't know. You know, a lot of clients go out there and they build custom solutions, but we also have frameworks for things like our consolidations or for workforce planning or for CapEx and projects, et cetera. Those frameworks have kind of evolved over time. And back in the on-prem days, they they were kind of what I would refer to as a suggestion, right? They were a set of forms and calculations that you could then take and modify. What they are today is really different. And that is, it's almost like you're presented with a series of toggles when you first enable these products. And you tell it, well, I want to plan at the employee level, but I also want to plan at the job level. I want these types of benefits. I want all of these features and you toggle them on and off. And at the end, it basically spits out an application. The challenge with that approach is that To build that sort of flexibility into a product requires an extremely complex and sophisticated product. And so I'm of the mind that I kind of prefer the old approach where give us a starting point and make it easy to customize. One of the challenges that we see today with the frameworks is that when you want to kind of color outside the lines and when you want to do your own customizations, it can be very difficult. And you get into a situation sometimes as an implementer where you're customizing this framework when it may have even been faster and better for you just to build something custom from the beginning. So some of that comes down to how these frameworks are sold. Some of it comes down to my preference as someone who builds Kind of custom applications. And it's just one of these areas where I think customers have to take a long, hard look at these products and say, do I want a custom tailored suit or do I want something off the rack that I'm later going to modify? What you really want to avoid is getting into a situation where you might've been better off going custom from the beginning. I
0: think your point is, is excellent. From my experience in working with the modules a lot, I think on implementers need to go in with a different mindset. It is like you said, Is it worth doing custom or is it worth using the modules? What I try to show the client is I'm not saying to them, what is your planning process? I say, well, you bought workforce planning. Let's show you what the process is in workforce planning. And then you tell me what doesn't work. I've been successful with that approach. Now I'm not sure it always works. Sometimes clients may say to me, we wanted this enhancement later on. If I go with that approach, I usually wind up keeping most of the -the out-of-the-box technology and then just enhancing it slightly. That's just a slightly different approach that I've been taking. And it's hard because it's a very personal process and they don't wanna change. We have to get them used to when we're trying to do this implementation.
2: Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely correct. Sometimes I'm just in the unenviable situation where I'm brought in after the product has been sold and you know, after a lot of promises have been made. And, and sometimes I've got to reset those expectations. So that can be a challenge, but you're absolutely right. That is the approach you should take.
3: I think it really does depend on the maturity of the business, because Anthony, I, I agree wholeheartedly with your side. I think we've had really good experiences with the, the templates where you're coming into organizations that don't have a very mature process or they've got some processes that are a bit fragmented and they've got some Excel spreadsheets here and some there. Uh, and it's easier in that context to come in with here's a template, let me walk you through it and then we'll identify the gaps. I think that conversation is very much flipped on its head when you're with an organisation that's been, you know, building Excel planning models for 30 years uh, and have this depth of, of kind of complexity to it to come in and say, oh, Here's how it works, find the gaps. The list of gaps will be longer than than what you're actually planning to implement. So I think it really is a very, very different kind of conversation depending on, on the maturity of the client. But for the clients who who don't really know best practice and probably are, are smaller and don't have the, don't have the, the scope to have throw 10 people on a project to help you define those business processes. I think the ability to come in and show them something immediately and say, this is what it looks like. Let's work out what isn't gonna work for you and, and we'll fix that, I think is adds a lot of benefit.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm not saying that the modules are perfect. There's definitely some, especially the workforce modules, there's a lot of overly complex things in there, but I've built a couple in days just to get them started. And starting from scratch, unless you had a bunch of stuff would be a challenge.
1: Peter, why don't we have you answer the question about developing a better mousetrap? What would that vision look like? And where are they falling short today?
3: Sure. I'll probably go in a a different direction a little bit just because you kind of look at the other products that are out there and you're kind of taking a step back and go, well, pick the best bits from each. What would you do? You know, if you had dashboarding like Tableau and you know, uh, an S-based BSO calculation engine where someone with an Excel background can write code, Groovy is great, but it's a step up from, from BSO where a lot of people who are good Excel developers can do that. You know, you've got something like the Dodeca level or, or what OneStream does with relational blending. So you can bring in all the data sets. You, know, you don't have to drop everything into a BSO cube. You don't have to store everything at level zero of an ASO cube. I think you kind of bring a lot of stuff back together. And then something like in Quarter, that other one, which just has data volumes and the ability to kind of bring all of these category codes in and slice and dice data, however you want to, it's kind of like two more advanced steps from ASO. I think merging all of those things together is kind of what in my mind would be an incredible product. The risk with it more than anything else, I think is it's easy as a planning developer who's, who's been doing it for so long to kind of go, Oh yeah, I could make that work. I could explain how all of these things work, but I think a lot of the time it's we're talking end users who may not be financial people, who may not really understand completely what a balance sheet cash flow is and how that all ties back to a PL. How do I actually simplify this down enough so that they can fit a planning process into their day-to-day operations thing, processes they might be sales manager or an operational manager or something? So I think it's it's really easy to go. There are all these technical solutions. And in some ways that's why OneStream scares me a little bit, because I've got Selden who is, you know. A genius and we all know that going in and saying it's brilliant you can do a lot with it you can do whatever you want and and the particularly the business owner inside of me is going wow you could do whatever you want that's terrifying because it means that you can do anything <laughs> that you want yeah. I, I think having that control a little bit around it and being able to go right well what are we actually trying to achieve who is our actual end user what are the actual reports they're trying to get to I think is critical when when you're kind of trying to think these things together but yeah I mean I would love to have relational blending which is something in that actually I think they're testing in in S itself. So so 21C, you know, they've got those kind of connections back into the relational layer. So you can just kind of drill in and, and see that data. You know, something like that would be incredible to have in planning. So we're not loading all that data in and better dashboarding. Dashboarding two is a step in the right direction, definitely, but you know, yeah. you compare it to what's what's available in Tableau or, or anything, <laughs> and it's the gap's pretty big there still. So yeah, I think there's there's Movement's in the right direction, but uh, you know, there's definitely some incredible tools that are doing some really cool things.
0: I'm a bit torn on bringing too much data into these systems. And, and I see that that is a trend that some of the competitors are doing. I really don't think people like to replicate their data unless they have to. And I, I do like what you're talking about with the 21C, where the, you can go and blend the data to an existing relational source. I really think that that would be a better direction just from a product-wise, because how many different data warehouses can you have? And I think that's, that's what these things become if you start replicating the data to many places. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And one of the big things with, with
0: Airspace, I love drill through
3: reporting. I've loved it forever. You know, things like DrillBridge was, was a game changer for me, you know, just in that ability to do that easily and build good reports. But you look at it at a certain point and you just, you, you cannot bring that much information into planning. You cannot bring that much information into to data management and still also achieve things like, oh, we want it to refresh every hour. You know, if, you've, if you're pulling 14 megs of text files with transactional
0: data so you can drill into it in data management, you're not going to be running that every 15 minutes. I think it goes back to what you're trying to solve, right? You, you're trying to build a planning process and sometimes all that extra data can confuse I, and, and you, you can't use it for everything. Is like the Swiss army knife? It's not supposed to be the Swiss army knife.
3: I think everyone on this call would say that they've built Hyperion planning cubes to solve problems that could probably be better solved otherwise.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. So, Jake, without naming any names, uh, tell me some things about
2: your current project and what's got you excited about it. I'm actually really excited about my current project. First of all, mainly because it's it's not your typical P&L and balance sheet planning application, right? We get into these cycles in this industry where we do one P&L balance sheet after another and so on. Right now, I'm doing something totally different. It's a merchandise planning application. Ah,
1: people.
2: yep. <laughs> And the cool thing about it is, I mean, it goes down to the daily level. Mm. It goes down to these very granular groupings of products. And uh, just the data is fascinating. The scale of the application is fascinating. It's an incredibly dense application with lots of detailed data. The fun part is, because it has to be such a high-performance application, it's taking advantage of Groovy in a lot of places. I mean, Groovy is just all over this application. It's, it's different than what I normally do. It's, it's using fun technologies, you know, of course it's on the cloud, which I love. And uh, it, it's nice to have a break from your typical P&L and balance sheet. Oh, that's great. Pete, you? Yeah, so kind of similar,
3: to be honest, uh, as Jake. One of my big current projects at the moment it is PL planning, so it's a little, little bit more, more boring than merchandising. But the interesting thing with it here is the scale of it. They're really heavily vertically integrated company. So there's a lot of different areas within the business, a lot of alternative hierarchies, a lot of alternative roll ups. Really, a change in my mentality to heavily use Groovy to solve some of those performance problems, to really and probably more than than just, oh, I'll grab the cells that are edited on the form, but do things like pass through smart list values, dynamically setting things, dynamically calculating components on forms on the way through so I don't have to offload it into S-Base, kind of really extending the S-Base framework into basically a combined S-Base Groovy framework to handle the calculations a little bit better. Uh, it's It's really been a fascinating journey because I kind of, from you know anthony your your writings and obviously kyle who's just written about it for years and selvin i I kind of had comprehended really the power that we were going to get from groovy is that interplay but to actually actively go in and go if i actually revisit this if i think about this in a different way and and not just have to go you know ag bu to get my answers then i really can quite aggressively write uh functionality um and, and get a lot of the benefits of the airspace kind of planning layer and the validation intersections and the security layer, but have a lot of functionality given to me you know, natively by Groovy. It's, it's a It has been a learning exercise. Uh, I think I'm at the point with Groovy now where I'm writing functional code. It's just not very, you know, it's certainly not best practice code. And I kind of jump back across to airspace where I, where I feel I write very good airspace code and it feels a bit jarring. But yeah, I can certainly see that all the benefits that you can get out of it.
0: It's, it's a great addition to the suite. It's fast. I had to enhance a, an application in my current project. And it's a planning application where they have workforce, they have a reporting cubes, and they have regular financial cubes and a detailed cube for even a ZBB type budgeting. So it's, it's a mix of everything. But one of the toughest things was moving data across the applications. And some of the users had quite large forms. They were doing the data maps on the save, and it was just taking forever to move the data around. And I use Groovy to see what's changed, and I took I took the calculation, broke it down into a, a safe for a form calculation. So what needs to happen and change on the form, and then everything else that needed to happen in the back end, like currency translation, I run it as a back end calc. So it launches as a system admin and runs in the back end. So the user doesn't actually have to sit and wait on the form. And I launched that through Groovy, and you can step it and and do all kinds of cool calcs on it and and have the data flow across the the system. The user they get the immediate response of that save, and then you know in a couple within a couple of minutes or however long it takes to do the data transfer or wherever else has to happen, that data is everywhere else within the cube and populated. So not sitting there waiting for it. It's powerful and it's very robust, especially if you can break it down into smaller segments. And the collate function is your friend, which you'll learn.
2: Yeah, that's really clever. I'd learn Anthony
3: if you wrote some blog posts on it.
0: That uh, that's a thing I, I have to start blogging again. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. I got to get back into it. I don't know if you guys caught our first podcast, and and uh, Matt was really Matt Bradley was very excited about a, a lot of the industry trends that he sees people going to smaller applications, distributed user bases, the graphics, the forms, you know, dashboarding. What do you see from a trend standpoint? Are you actually implementing to the trends or is something different?
3: This is a really fascinating one because when, when we were starting up, up the company, we were doing kind of a lot of reading of kind of how other people were starting it. On Twitter, as you, you find all these things on Twitter these days, I read the manifesto of a company that was building a management reporting tool. And their position on this was, you know, there's all of these products out here that, you know, the Oracle planning, all of these kind of Anaplan, OneStream, et cetera. And for a lot of companies, simply getting a management P&L that ties at month end that's correct, that everyone who needs access to it has access to it, is hard. You know, it's something that's functionally difficult for them. And I think it's really easy for us uh, as developers who are just so used to kind of S-Base and SmartView and that kind of drag and drop to forget that SmartView as a product, you know, and and the S-Base Excel add-in originally if you've got all your data in there you've got your hierarchies in there you've got security in there you've got the ability to drill back into the transactional information that can be a game changer for companies that have been doing that by dumping transaction details out and trying to build pivot tables over it you know they're trying to merge through you know power bi their budgets and their actuals together so i think for a lot of things you know when we start particularly with net new customers that are kind of coming in from from very heavy excel background they don't have a lot of systems um it's let's just get your data in, let's get your hierarchies in, let me show you what your data looks like, what your budget looks like, what your actuals look like um, in, in this kind of OLAP view of the world. Because I think that then lends itself so much to then more advanced conversations around how you actually wanna do planning, what you actually wanna be giving up to the management layer, what you wanna be giving up to the board, because. A lot of the times it's just easy to go, well, that's just a solved problem, so let's not talk about it. But for a lot of companies, that is is a fundamental game changer in how they're actually running and and managing their businesses, particularly when you then start overlaying KPIs and drivers and everything else to it uh, because you really then build out their knowledge, what they've got access to and and everything else. So it's kind of – it's easy to say, oh, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll take in predictive planning and and we'll start looking at that. But the reality is solving so many of these smaller problems for companies would net so much more value and it's – easy with bunny rabbit ears to do that. Um, So yeah, that's that's a lot of what we spend our time doing, just solving the simple problems in a robust and efficient way.
2: I think it's interesting, Pete, Pete just let everybody in kind of on one of those little secrets of the consulting world. And that is we really love these net new customers. And the reason is sometimes it can be very easy to dramatically improve their lives and make them very happy. Without tons of effort and gyrations and, and technical wizardry, we can come in with these products and uh, you know make a lot of people happy really quickly. I was I was actually having a conversation about this with a friend of mine yesterday, and we were c- kind of talking about how as consultants we all kind of develop these blind spots, and you know because we get used to developing and implementing things a certain way. And we got on this conversation of dashboards and how the dashboards are getting really much better and how as consultants, you know, in the past, we really, a lot of us never really built out a lot of dashboards and planning because they weren't that great. And this is one of those areas where I think a lot of consultants need to go back and revisit them because when you start combining dashboards and predictive planning, you know, on the front ends of these products, um, they really, they really have a lot of neat new functionality in them. So, in terms of you know what the trends are, the trends I think are definitely moving towards better dashboarding. And the question is, will a lot of these old school consultants kind of break out of their old routines and go use some of these new features?
1: Where do you think the line is, though, between? The kind of somewhat limited, but better than it used to be, EPM dashboards versus pure analytical dashboards, like with Oracle Analytics or even a product like Tableau?
2: I'd probably defer to Pete on this question, mainly because I think he's got sort of a broader BI background than I do. Yeah, so I I think it's an interesting point. The, The dashboarding is incredibly powerful within PBCS
3: and ePBCS, insofar as it's You know, really letting you conceptualize a lot of the data that is otherwise quite difficult to do live in system. So, someone's doing a rolling forecast for the month end, they can quickly and easily compare actuals to budgets, you know, where their trend lines are, where all of that information is. I think the failing, for the one of a better word, um, of of that dashboarding is really just the limitation of the data. I mean, you're going back, even if you've got big ASOQs with a large number of categories and you can get a, a, a decent amount of data set out of that. When you look at some of the other ones, um, so, in quarter and, and, and Tableau and Power BI, yeah, you know, they're really looking at relational data sets where you can have thirty or forty categories. You know, that would for us be dimensionality that just wouldn't scale. Um, so, it's really bringing in a lot more of that data, you know, bringing in lower levels of detail. So, you know, sales data and customer data, and bringing that all together. So, I think the gap there really is working out the niche that um, the kind of the EPM dashboards suit. Uh, and there's some really powerful things like waterfall charts now for comparing your forecast versus forecast to give that snapshot view, trend lines to kind of show, right, where are we actually to plan? What does the now our rolling forecast look like to budget? You know, that kind of information I think is incredibly powerful, but I think it will never be uh, that other product. Well, I mean, they get relational blending sorted maybe, but, you know, it will never be that kind of a full-fledged BI product because there are other things that are doing it off relational data sets, off everything else that just have more data available to them. And this is giving a more comprehensive view of the world.
0: Jake, when you're going back to what you said, as far as consultants thinking about it, I think a lot of times what happens is we're not focused on the presentation layer or how those dashboards are going to interact with with the actual planning process. And we come to it too late. What do you guys think about that?
2: I think that's part and parcel of kind of challenging and, and exploring our own blind spots with the product, right? Yeah. You know, we all get good at certain things and we all get used to implementing certain things. But you know, you need to step out of those comfort zones and, and look at some of the other areas of the product and then design with those features in mind from the beginning.
3: Yeah, I, I think definitely one of the most powerful things you can do as a kind of an EPM implementer, particularly a planning implementer, is take a step back and not immediately jump into the spreadsheets and the balance sheet model and the the driver models and everything else but take a step back and go right what's the outcome what's the management report deck look like what's the board pack look like a lot of the times you can build a lot of detail into the model and then realize that actually it's so summarized at the you know when we're actually hitting the board level when we're hitting the management report packs that maybe we didn't need to plan all the way down to natural accounts and have six and a half thousand natural accounts that we're planning into. Maybe we could have rolled that up and made everyone's lives a lot easier and a lot more kind of valuable.
0: I mean, we could have a whole discussion about how to get clients to agree on the right level of detail to plan at. Um, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I agree. I I think there would be a lot more drinking if we had to
3: have that
1: conversation.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That would be, that would be a fun dog. Let's skip into some like war stories is I, I, I'm always fascinated by that. Let's talk about some of the things that you guys have implemented that you're really uh, proud about and like to uh, show off.
2: So somehow I have kind of developed this specialization within construction firms and I've really enjoyed working in construction firms. You know, they kind of have their own unique set of challenges, their own unique accounting requirements. And one of the cool things that I've been doing lately is, we will actually do all of our revenue recognition within our consolidation or planning products, and then take that and pump it back to the ledger systems in the form of journal entries. So I think it's, I, I, I've always thought it was really cool that we were actually doing revenue recognition in the planning applications. It's fascinating. And then That's, feeding that data back. Pete, what Here's, about you?
3: Well, for me, I've actually developed a bit of a strange specialty into higher education, which is kind of a strange one to go into, but has a really interesting set of challenges. So one of kind of my key areas is actually not the financial side of it, but student enrollments. So planning uh, effectively student intake, the distribution into the course frameworks, you know, how many students are going to do these courses, if they're doing these courses, which units are they taking, therefore what, mas- what majors are going to be built out, what that looks like over 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 time. So what the intake positions are and uh, what the recovery rates are and the re enrollment rates over years. So kind of built large number in Australia of these models where really trying to drive off individual students and, and trying to track individual students kind of from when they enrol all the way through potentially graduation to a kind of a higher level, so masters or honours, and then moving on from there. So it's interesting because it challenges the application a little bit. I mean, you, you obviously can't use any of the financial logic you're kind of writing a lot of trend logic yourself so a lot of kind of data science work goes into how to build trending methods to to track uh, student behavior over time and building things like organic growth models because that's what fits the best with with how this kind of data kind of all pans through so and then obviously because it's you know individual students you know a lot of time you're looking at universities who might have ten thousand units and 5,000 you know teaching faculties because it's down to the effect of the individual kind of teacher layer and then all of these other kind of governmental reporting kind of dimensions so a lot of the time it's it's building blended models that kind of couple ASO information hybrid cubes relational data bringing it all together and, and trying to model it that way so really really fascinating and a nice kind of jump off from
0: as jake mentioned earlier I another p l and balance sheet model wow those are two very Different examples, but uh, very fascinating stuff.
1: (laughs) So this podcast episode is going to be the last one of 2020. So I kind of wanted to wrap it up with reflecting on what's been released in Oracle EPM this year, specifically in planning. What do you think was the best feature or function that was released this year? And what do you hope to see next year? I'd
3: love to say Dashboards 2.0 because obviously I did some work uh, with with the the Oracle guys on the beta program to kind of help refine that. And, and I really think it's a step forward. I think it's a massive step up in what we can actively do and how we can actively present data. So for me, I think I will be focusing on that next year with all of our kind of existing clients to kind of take their original dashboards, which they're fine, but they're not exactly you know world-class and really move them into that. But for me, the thing that I'm most excited about that I haven't had a chance to play with yet is actually a lot of the Groovy functionality into ASO. So really exposing kind of the ASO logic right back out to Groovy, which fundamentally for some things is going to let us build uh, ASO um, applications directly under planning uh, where you get a lot of the functionality kind of driven straight out of it, a lot of kind of iterative kind of calculations that can be built directly off uh, Groovy rules running ASO, and then you've got the scale of ASO just sitting in the background, aggregating everything on the fly. So I'm super excited about that. I've got one client who I need to, to look at in the early next year. And, and I think you know, I'm just trying to frantically read up on it as much as possible, but super excited.
1: Jake, what about you?
2: So I'm not hundred percent sure that this feature was released this year. If it wasn't this year, it was very close to this year. And it's been around for a while in terms of on-prem implementations. But my usage of it has gone through the roof this year, and that, that's hybrid aggregation mode. Hybrid aggregation mode this year has made applications that I could not have delivered in the past possible. And so just the ability to aggregate that data on the fly to define specifically where I want to calculate in batch and where I want it to calculate in memory, it's just gotten better and better on the cloud. I did a very complex workforce planning application, a custom workforce planning application that it just would have drugged to its knees if we'd had to, you know store all of those upper member upper level blocks. So that was really exciting getting to work with that more. The thing that I'm really looking forward to, I, t- I tend to do a lot of work with security lately. and you know obviously i've I've integrated valid intersections into that skill set. The problem with valid intersections has always been the fact that it affects where you can write data, but valid intersections don't restrict where you can read data. And so one of the things that I'm looking forward to, and I understand, I I believe it's been through beta already, but cell level security, where we can get very, very specific in terms of how we restrict read access, that's something that I'm really looking forward to.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that gets rolled out. I, I, I'm i not sure if there's been a beta on that. Um, yeah, I actually, yeah, I, think I tested said it. I think there was.
0: I was lucky I got to test it. Rinaldi had me uh, do some work on it. It's very similar to validation, valid intersections. That's mm-hmm. pretty powerful. So you define like a different, a new valid intersection row. It's great stuff. It'll work. It'll get the job done. Problem is, is it was really ready to go, but they were working on an interface to load and export them because the current valid valid intersection rules was all XML. So uh, they wanted to build a comma separated one or an Excel based version to do imports and exports. So this way it would be more usable.
2: That'll be handy.
0: Yeah, yeah. It'll be handy for everything across the board for that piece. It'll be good to have that as a, in our tool set. And that will definitely solve that
3: workforce layer where you need a different level yes. of security and workforce, than, which, yeah. which has just been an outstanding problem for, for 20 years. And right. You, yeah. You, yeah. You, is the reason why I think we have so many times you end up with different applications or different levels or, you know, current clients. I've got, you know, complete replicas of the cost center dimension with workforce prefix to it just to solve that problem.
0: So if cool. we can get rid of that, then, you know, everyone's lives will be a little better. Anything else that you guys want to plug quickly before we we wrap up?
2: Yeah, obviously, k Scope. You know, hoping yeah. hoping for the best this year with a couple of vaccines and hopefully people taking the vaccines and willing to travel and willing to. Hey, let's not get political, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't know if that's political. I'm hopefully just teasing. Not. I'm teasing. <laughs> Who knows I love to get political. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm just hoping that people are willing to show up to what what has the potential to be a really amazing conference.
3: And I think also
2: K-Scope, uh with, or ODTUG with the Learn From Home
3: series this year, and, and then OzOrg did a, did a similar thing here down in Australia. So that was, Ahmed um, uh one of our good friends, has, has been doing a lot of work to try to push the EPM side of that. So I think it's it's really been an interesting kind of dynamic, and I think there is something to be said for, for online conferences
2: and accessibility. Yeah, Pete, and I'm, I'm actually really glad you brought that up If you're getting the current ODTUG emails, you may have noticed an announcement recently where if you purchase an in-person conference ticket, it will grant you access to a certain number of tickets for virtual conferences later in the year. And so that's one of the things we're working on is we realize not everybody can travel to these conferences. Yeah, that would be great. I really
0: had a great time with this discussion we would like to thank our guests, Jake and Pete, for their time and Opal. I appreciate everybody's time today. Bye bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening. The statements in this show represent the views of the participants and the hosts, and not necessarily the views of any organizations they may be affiliated with. You can reach us on Twitter Anthony at the Manfredi, and Opal at Woman in EPM with the hashtag PMTechCast. Please remember to subscribe to get the latest from the Performance Management TechCast.